and welcome to NSTA, The Bus Stop. This is the official podcast of the National School Transportation Association. I am Kurt Mackison, Executive Director, and we are making final preparations for the NSTA annual meeting and convention. As you know, it's going to be held in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, July 25th through the 28th at the Pfister Hotel. If you haven't made reservations yet, the question is why haven't you made reservations? But if you'd like to attend, please contact us at the NSTA office at 703-684-3200, and we'll help you out. Now, it's my pleasure to bring back one of our, I think, the best way to describe it, Regina, prolific podcast <laughs> guests. Oh, my. And that's, <laughs> and that's Regina Feltz, founder of EMS Solutions. And she's also the 2021 NSTA Annual Meeting and Convention keynote speaker. So, Regina, welcome back to NSTA The Bus Stop. Kurt, it is such a great pleasure to be with you this morning. I am so looking forward to actually going to your conference and speaking and meeting you finally flesh to flesh here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think we first got in contact. It's been a long courtship, uh, Regina. I think we first got in contact <laughs> with each other back in February of 2020, but it's been a, a great ride. We've, we've learned a lot, uh, I think, together. We've talked about one subject primarily, so I, I am actually looking forward to, to branching out and hearing your you know, thoughts on, on the pandemic you know, as we move forward, because I think at this one, I keep asking you this question, this podcast is, the, are we seeing a light at the end of the tunnel? So I know you'll get to that later in your remarks, but what, what I want to start out with is just a brief reintroduction for folks who may not have heard the previous, and how could they not? But if, in case they didn't, just talk a, a little bit about uh, EMS solutions and and you know what you do on a regular basis. Sure, I'm happy to do that. So uh, I'm president of EMS Solutions, which is based out of San Francisco. We've been in practice for almost 40 years, and we do crisis management, uh, exercise design, and pandemic planning in companies in five continents. And you, of course, found me because of the pandemic. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And um, so, you know, let's kind of branch into that. And, you know, it's been such a long journey, as I referred to in my opening remarks. But why don't you briefly talk about the, you know, where we are in terms of the vaccination efforts and some of the results we're seeing? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, the United States was really, really fortunate that we started our vaccine program. You know, we were one of the first out of the gate uh, starting in December of last year. And we were really going gangbusters and, and now it's beginning to slow down a bit, uh, a lot of it because people that were really anxious to get the vaccine uh, queued up in line and got it quickly. And then others are, are kind of more in a wait and see mode. So we've actually delivered here in the U.S. about 335 million doses, which sounds like a lot. And it is. And we're still doing about a half a million doses a day. But the, the sort of the downside of that, I mean, the good side is, is we are making progress. So let me just really highlight that. We have about 55% of our country that's gotten one dose, and we've got 48% of the people that are fully vaccinated, which is great. And we've got in the area of people that are over the age of 12, which is the only vaccines now that are currently available, you have to be 12 plus. We have a little bit higher numbers when you look at that, which is about 65% of the people have gotten one dose and about 56 have gotten 
fully vaccinated. I think what we are, though, Curtis, we're kind of in an interesting divide, which I'm sure your listeners have been following on the news. We're becoming kind of a nation of two folks, those that are vaccinated and those that are not. And I think what you're seeing now, of course, is the cases are starting to rise again, obviously much lower than our previous historic highs. But in places with low vaccine, they're actually beginning to really rise, and in some places, pretty dramatically. So the the states that are kind of in trouble with their vaccines, there's about 11 of them, and that's Idaho, Wyoming, uh, Oklahoma, Missouri, uh, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, which has the worst of all, about 29% people vaccinated, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, and Tennessee. And there's about 1,000 counties in the U.S., primarily rural, that actually have less than 20% of their citizens vaccinated. So those are the places that we're starting to see spikes. So what I would say to all of your listeners, if you aren't vaccinated, the question is, what would it take to get you to think about it from a different perspective? And is there somebody in your family, a minister, a physician that can maybe talk with you about your concerns? Because frankly, if you're not vaccinated now in the United States, you are at great risk. And you see that where the death tolls are Essentially, every day right now, there's about 300 people dying who are unvaccinated and between one and four or five people dying who are vaccinated. And those are people that are often older with a lot of comorbidities, which are a lot of other compromised conditions. So what I'd say to all of your listeners is the vaccines are safe. The vaccines work. And they're our only way out of this. And we can see that by the millions and millions of doses that have been given with relatively few side effects, a very few number of deaths, and the fact that those people aren't getting sick now and they are not going to the hospital or dying. So the good news is they work. And the key thing is, is that we all need to get one. Now, I have a bit of an off the wall question for you because you talked sure. about, you talked about you know, first vaccine and then second vaccine. And I think your spread was about 7%. Yep. That's um, so are, are there folks who get buyer's remorse after getting one vaccine or that's just simply the three-week lag period? That's a really great question. So currently right now in the U.S., there's about 11% of the people who have gotten the first dose who have not gotten the second. And what that means uh, Kurt, is that they have passed that three or four week window, and maybe they're now into two or three or four months. And what the mm-hmm. studies have shown, especially in the Delta variant, is that when we you get your first shot, you get a nice, a big immune boost. It's great. But uh, with the current variants that are cruising around the United States, particularly Delta, people that only have one dose and don't get a second one are much, much, much more prone to getting ill because they just don't have the immune boost that they need in order to protect themselves with having a sufficient antibody response. So that's why if you are one of those folks that got the first dose and said, yeah, 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 I really don't need another shot. I would really beg you to rethink that because you get this huge immune boost from the second shot. And ideally, you do split, you place it around that three-week period because that's really where you capitalize on kind of like stepping up to the next level. You'll still get a bump if you've waited a long time. But I would say if you only got one dose out of a two-dose vaccine, you need to go get another one. Great. Great advice there, Regina. And thanks for explaining that so well. 
Now, you did touch upon the Delta variant. How concerned should folks be? And I, I think then that begs the next question. Overall, with respect to COVID-19, is the worst behind us? That's a really great question. Let me talk first about Delta, and then I'll talk about the last question about is the worst behind us. So the thing about a virus is just keep this in the back of your mind, Kurt, is that viruses, their main job, their goal in life is to keep on infecting people because that's how their species uh, continues to live. And the way they do that is by mutation. So all viruses mutate. That's just what they do for a living every day. When they wake up in the morning, they're thinking like, wow, what can I do different? So if you're infected, it's constantly changing within your body. And sometimes that particular virus in your body locks out and it becomes really super effective. If it's able to jump out of your body into somebody else's body and infect them, then the race is on, right? And that's really what the variants do. So we mutate all the time, but very seldom does it actually jump out of you into somebody else. So we have actually had, now we're, I think, up to seven variants of concern. Uh, the Delta is the best. And what will ha continue to happen is that for the new guy on the block to be better than the last guy on the block, they have to be meaner and badder. That's how it works. And so the Delta mm -hmm. is a lot more transmissible. It's 55% more transmissible than the last bad guy, which was Alpha, which is the old UK variant. So this was 55% more transmissible, which means in the old days, if you would have gone into a, a, a location unmasked, let's say, in February of last year, you could have probably been there maybe, you know, an hour and not got infected. With Delta, you could probably be there 10 minutes and get infected. So it's just that much more transmissible. So that's the first thing to really think about. And then secondarily, it has also been linked to more hospitalizations and a little bit more serious illness. And what we're seeing right now, because all the older folks or a lot of the older folks are all vaccinated here in the U.S., who's now getting super sick and who's actually going to the hospital and dying are those people really between the ages of 30 and 60. And so the whole pandemic has really shifted because of that. So Delta is much more infectious it's actually um, a little bit more dangerous as far as its disease. It's causing more hospitalizations. And just to give you a sense of, there's a, there's a term called R-naught. You might've remembered this when the pandemic first mm -hmm. started. And that term is really how transmissible a disease is. So the first virus that came out of China had a 2.4 R-naught, which means that it could, if one sick person could infect about two people. And then the, First mutation that was significant was in Europe about 60 days later. It went to a three. So one person infects three. The UK variant or the alpha variant went to a 4.5, which is, you know, one person sick, four to five people get sick. Delta is up to eight. So that just gives you a sense of the transmission. And it's comparable to how contagious smallpox is. Smallpox is a very contagious, thank God, it is the only disease that's ever been eradicated in the world, but it doesn't exist any longer. But it was highly mm. infectious, and it was about the same r not as the Delta. That's, uh, that really puts it in great perspective. Yeah, uh, it does, actually. It does. Uh, there's, one, there's one other variant. Uh, it's not of concern yet, but it's a variant of interest. It's called Alamba, and it's from uh, Peru. And it's now circulating in the U.S. It's thought to be maybe about the same contagious level as Delta, 
But again, to my point at the very beginning of this conversation about variants is they're just going to keep changing. So that gets to your final question as part of this segment, which is, you know, are we seeing the light at the end of the tunnel? And the answer I'm going to say, Kurt, is yes and no. (laughs) What do I mean by that? The only way to stop this thing is to stop transmission. That's it. I mean, that is the game. Uh, and so the only way to stop it is to stop transmission. The only way we can do that is to get enough people vaccinated that the number of people who might be sick are so small that unless they just happen to, you know, talk to somebody who's not vaccinated as well, then the virus begins to really dampen down. It's probably never going to go away, Kurt. That's the key thing is that it's so pervasive in the environment. It's now what epidemiologists call endemic, which means it is part of our life. Now, what's going to happen over time? Everybody's speculating because, of course, we don't know because we've never had a coronavirus pandemic. But people are beginning to think that at some point it will dampen down enough that perhaps it might become seasonal. However, it has not been seasonal at all during the pandemic. And seasonal means that, you know, it would primarily be circulating like the flu when it's cold and damp and we're all inside and breathing on each other. But this virus, as you have seen, is really successful at being able to transmit in hot weather, uh, you know, in the in the big summer periods of time, it doesn't seem to matter if they, it can find somebody to infect. It does a really good job of it. So I think what I would say to you is if we could get a better handle on the vaccines, we overall would be doing much better. And that's really the big pivot that we need to think about. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of what you said there brought back, you know, refresh my memory on on a lot of the conversations we've had over, you know, this period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially with the, the seasonal aspect of it and, you know, folks trying to predict what was going to happen, you know, from the spring to the summer of 2020 into the fall and, and winter of 2021. Right. So, uh, yeah, I think we've, we've ab- absolutely learned a lot, you know, over that period of time that can, you know, be helpful, you know, for us. But as you say, a lot of work needs to be done, continued. Mm-hmm. One of the things that really applies to us as school bus operators are the CDC guidelines. Mm -hmm. And I know kind of hot off the presses are some new CDC guidelines, although I will say that, um, you know, they are in that respect, just guidelines. And your home state of California has, from what I've seen, chosen to, I don't want to say ignore, but not adhere to these guidelines, let's say. So maybe you take a moment here to talk about the CDC guidelines. And, you know, maybe if you have some more information about California, that'd be helpful for the listeners too. Sure. And, and Kurt, your, your, your tee up for this conversation is really important because uh, the CDC does not have the authority to mandate any behavior. Who does that is actually the state and local departments of health. And so the CDC has a set of guidelines understanding that they are guidelines, but every state, every county, and frankly, even every large city has the opportunity to make those more restrictive. And that's what you've seen in California, which I'll talk about in just a second. So to to really talk about these guidelines, one of the things the CDC is really, uh, really insisting upon, as we all know, is that students actually do much better in learning in person than they do over a Zoom when people were starting to talk about Zoom kindergarten, I thought like, wow, how do you do Zoom mm. kindergarten, right? <laughs> right, uh, exactly. But, 
Right. I mean, just sort of crazy. And so, um, so that's their whole premise. If that's the overall goal is to get people back into school, that's what the CDC guidelines are really all about. So obviously the key, the key, key ex- activity they want to really promote is vaccines. But as we know, that's only for those that are over 12. So if you understand that that's sort of a dividing line in any school, what they're going to do is they're going to require masks to be worn by individuals who are over the age of two that are not fully vaccinated. And that, that they are also emphasizing that they need to wear them correctly. Because I'm sure you and I could have seen a million people who have their mask below their nose and things like that. So, so they have mm-hmm. to have a mask on if they're over the age of two and they have not been vaccinated. That includes staff, teachers, uh, students, parents on campus, any of those things. And they must be especially concerned and aware of those people being masked in indoor spaces or any sort of crowded settings where you can't do physical distancing. They're still requiring three feet of distance between all people in a classroom. So think about that also with a bus, right? Because basically you need to think about that same idea. Masks for those that are not vaccinated, three feet of distance when possible. And of course, the bus, the good plus is you can open windows and have really good ventilation. They're also Mm -hmm. gonna require screening and testing And they have a whole um, transmission color coding system, which I'll talk about in a second. But they are going to require testing and they're going to continue to promote ventilation and hand washing and all of that, which we know. And they have a whole series of things about what you should do if people end up becoming ill while they are at school. And because uh, vaccines are not currently available for those under the age of 12, they're really making sure that, uh, again, that people that are vaccinated, that can be vaccinated, are vaccinated to the best of their ability, but understanding that those people that are under the 12 don't have that option. So we're really working to protect them as well from getting infected. And so what they're really looking at is protecting students and staff and teachers that are not fully vaccinated. That's really the, the key thing. And what they're basing all of this on which is important is a chart that's in the CDC site right now that's basically looking at how to do screening testing based on community transmission. So they've now dropped that into four different colors, uh, blue, which is low, yellow, which is moderate, orange, which is substantial transmission, and red, which is high transmission. And then what they're doing is they're looking at basically three things in those areas. What do you do for teachers and staff? Uh, in those four different color codes as far as testing? And what do you do as far as high-risk sports like wrestling, let's say, and then low-risk sports? Mm -hmm. And then they're asking you to base all of those things on that. But what I would say to you is that for your uh, bus operators, they still need to be thinking about masking if they're not vaccinated. And frankly, uh, what I would say to you, Kurt, is that many bus drivers Maybe because they're going to be exposed to so many unvaccinated children, even if you're vaccinated, I could see that many of them might still wear a mask because, frankly, they would feel more comfortable. So that's always an option that a driver would have. Uh, Making sure that you've got kids as, as, as distance as you possibly can. Make sure that they still have good ventilation. And, of course, you could open a bunch of windows to make that happen. And, and know that you, there are going to be spikes that will occur in the school year in areas in particular that have a low vaccination rate. Oh, 
a lot of um, lot to unpack there, Regina. It but is a uh, lot no, to I, unpack, I think you. my friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now in California, but, uh, let me just say, in California, we're doing it differently, of course, because we're California, and they're saying that everybody's going to be mass vaccinated or not. And so okay. I. I imagine you might see that appear in other states as well. So all of your operators have to be not only concerned about what the CDC says, but they need to check their county, city requirements, and also anything that's coming from the state. Because it can be restrictive all the way down to the city requiring something that the state doesn't require. So wherever you are operating is what you have to be paying attention to. And I'm actually going to make a prediction on this that this issue becomes part of your recall election that's coming up in California. But we won't dive into that because this podcast <laughs> would last for a couple hours, probably. <laughs> All right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, Regina, so much great information. I did want to give you the opportunity to talk about your keynote session because we're so looking forward to it at the annual meeting convention in Milwaukee. Um, so you want to give us a you know, brief overview of the things you're going to talk about? Sure, I'm happy to do that. So one of my areas of specialty is in crisis management. So I advise executives on how to manage crises worldwide. And I have found the pandemic hurt to be uh, so interesting, right? Mm. From a leadership perspective, oh my goodness. And part of it is, is that when you have a disease that is um, airborne. You can't see it. You don't know if it's in the room. You know, there's a lot of fear that begins to happen in every person. I don't care how polished you are. And so the first thing I'm going to talk about is, is really what happens when your brain is actually in crisis. We actually go back to a reptilian brain that we all have and where sometimes our decision-making and our thinking isn't very clear and not very good. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And then I'm going to really talk about the best qualities I've observed worldwide in leaders, both in government, but also in companies and in communities and, and churches, about qualities that they demonstrated that actually made a huge difference, not only for themselves, but frankly, for the people that they led. And I want to talk about, there's essentially about five things that I've been able to observe that really contributed to people doing either a good job and then, of course, others that didn't do as well. And what I would say to all of your listeners is that this is really kind of under the big umbrella of a term that's called emotional intelligence. And it's something that all of us can learn. And, and you might be saying, if you're listening to this, thinking like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not a leader. I, I don't manage a group of people. I would say that every one of us is a leader, whether it's a, you're a leader in your home with your family or in your community, or with your friends. We all assume different leadership style positions. And so this idea of being able to understand what we need to do to be better in a situation that is frightening and unpredictable, and when we don't know it's going to end, and how we can bring out not only the best in ourselves, but in others, is really something that every one of us needs to really think about how we can grow so that we can actually be much more effective, not only for the rest of this pandemic, frankly, but in all aspects of our lives. So that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to really talk to people at the very end about how they can develop these skills themselves and foster those so they can be a more effective leader in whatever areas of their life they assume those positions. Wow. It sounds like a great session you have planned. 
Uh, Regina, you're always a great guest. Once again, everyone, Regina Phelps, founder of EMS Solutions, and she's also our 2021 NSTA annual meeting convention keynote speaker. Regina, as always, thanks so much for taking the time to join us at the bus stop. Forward to seeing you in Milwaukee and safe travels, my friend. Thank you. Thank you.